You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Pentecost Sunday is only a few uh, weeks away, and so what I wanted to do is to prepare you and prepare your hearts so that when the Spirit of God moves during those services, that we'll be ready for that. You ever been in a situation where, like, you uh, were able to receive something, but you didn't have the ability to, you know, you didn't have something to put it in, you didn't have something to carry it off with. Sometimes people will say, hey, you know, I got this piece of furniture, and I'm looking to get rid of it. It's a really great piece of furniture. Like, oh, that's really great, but you don't have a truck, right? So what do you got to do? You got to kind of coordinate later on in the week. You're like, ah, I need to coordinate with someone who has a truck that can pick it up with me, and I can get it at a later time. But you'd really like it right then and there, wouldn't you? But you can't because you don't have what you need in order to receive. And so I want to prepare our hearts to receive. We've got a couple of services at the end of the month, some miracle services. We're really believing God for a time of healing, a time of God just breakthrough in people's lives. And so we want you to be ready for that. So I want to talk a couple weeks about what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are, to, are for today. And so I want to talk to you about what it means to live a spirit-filled life. What it means is that you live each day keeping God in view. You live each day keeping God in view. You know, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, before he was taken up into heaven, he said to his disciples, you know, uh, don't worry or be afraid when difficulty comes. Don't worry or be afraid when you're confronted with people who don't like the fact that you're a Christian. Uh, Do not be uh, anxious or concerned about, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to do when those situations come up? And he says, don't worry. The Spirit of my Father will give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit's there to help us when we don't know what to do and when we don't know what to say. Holy Spirit's role in the world, uh, John 16 Verse 8 says, is to convict this world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the role of the Holy Spirit is to do the work of Jesus and to work in the hearts of people that maybe don't believe, to help them to believe, and to follow after the Lord. The active role of the Holy Spirit is necessary in the world today in order to see people come to Christ. Jesus also told his disciples, his followers, to comfort them. That the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, a third person of the Trinity comes, he would be their comforter, he would be their helper, and he would be their teacher showing them the way that they should go. You can find that in John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus told them that they need to rely on the Holy Spirit after he would leave them. And if that's the case, if if Jesus said, you know what, uh, I know you're going to be troubled by the fact that I'm leaving you. Remember, they spent three years with Jesus. They, they walked where he walked, where he taught, they listened. Uh, he showed them how to live. He showed them what to do. Uh, they, they were a big part of their, he was a big part of their lives. And so he says, you know, I, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to be resurrected. And then I'm going to be taken up into heaven again. And he says, but don't let that trouble you. Don't let that worry you or concern you. He says, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and he will help you to serve me. He will help you to be my witness. He will help you to be an example in the world. But it's interesting to think about today that not many people give much consideration to the Holy Spirit. 
if Jesus said that we need the Holy Spirit, and his disciples need the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we also depend on the Holy Spirit? We should not neglect the third person of the Trinity. Being led by the Spirit was prominent in the New Testament. It occurs 18 times in the New Testament where it talks about people being led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Matthew 4, verse 1. You know, sometimes being led by the Spirit means that you are led into difficult situations. You are led into challenges and trials so that you will come out on top so that you can go through difficulty, but God's working in the midst of that difficulty. The Apostle Paul said that he was bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem where he knew he would be arrested, Acts 20, verse 22. Most of the examples of being led by the Spirit occur in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost. Whether it was Philip evangelizing or Peter going with guests who came to visit him out of nowhere, or Paul and Barnabas being chosen for missionary work, or Paul changing his plans after the Holy Spirit prevented him from going to a certain area. You find that in Acts 16 and 17. You know, we are very much about, like, God leading us to do some things, and we love making plans, don't you? Some of you might be making plans for your holiday right now. Might be making plans for your vacation. Now, you've got your place picked out. You've got a nice place by the water. Maybe you've already booked the, the hotel or the uh, condo that you're staying in, and you have all these plans about things that you want to do. And the, the thing that probably may frustrate you the most are when things come up that indicate that you have to change your plans, especially if you've spent the money, you've taken the time off from work. The, the, you be, that vacation that was once something you were looking forward to is now a frustration. You've gone from vacation to frustration in the matter of just a few minutes hearing that your plans have to change. When you're being led by God's Spirit, you have to be willing not only to change your plans, but follow a new plan that He has for you. And if you're the kind of person who's a little bit like me, that I don't like uh, things being changed last minute, I don't like surprises, it can really kind of put you in a bit of a bad headspace sometimes. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to change anything. How can we change this? I've been working hard on this. And, and hear me today. You might be working on something that you've been planning and saving and, and, and working at for a long time, and then you experience a setback. And usually when we experience a setback of some kind, we become very agitated, we become annoyed, and sometimes, quite honestly, we become less than Christian in our response. Can I challenge you with the thought today that perhaps God by His Spirit might be changing your plans for a particular reason because there's someplace else He wants you to go and something else that He wants you to do. If you look at it that way, it won't be so bad. Yes, it's still bad. <laughs> no one likes changing things that you've worked so hard at, but I promise you today that God is working even in the unseen ways in our life to bring about the change that we need that's a longing and lasting change. All these disciples listened to and followed the Holy Spirit's leading when it came to what they and where they were supposed to do things. If the Holy Spirit's leading was essential to the work of the early church, it should be essential and important to us too. This is going to be a two-part series, very short. It's going to be sandwiched uh, in between, my wife will be speaking next week, so I encourage you to come out. She's a really great speaker, and I don't just say that because she's my wife, and she might be watching. Okay, I'm not just saying that. 
although it does help, I will say that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, but she really is good. She's, she, is, she loves the word, loves God's spirit. I guarantee you that if you come next week, you'll be encouraged. And then we have this lovely luncheon after service that Dan Seuss is putting together. So if you stick around after service, you'll have a nice free luncheon that you can enjoy. But I want to share with you uh, two things about uh, being living a spirit-filled life. And there's a two-part series. So part one is this, be led by the Spirit. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8, 1 through 17. And if you're worried about all the things you have to read, don't worry, I will read it to you, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Either turn with me there in your Bibles. I encourage you to do that too. Turn in your Bibles and hold it there. Maybe put that little ribbon that you have in your Bible. Put it right in there. Because there are times where we hear a sermon and the full weight of it may not hit us when we're actually in service. But later on in the week as you go back and read it, the gravity of it might, uh, you might catch that greater depth as you uh, revisit it later on in the week. So let's look at it together, beginning in verse 1 of Romans 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he was condemned, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, meaning God's. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the same, if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through whose Spirit he dwells within you. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now underline that. We'll read it again. For as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs with God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Help us to understand it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and a heart to respond to what the Holy Spirit would say to us today. May it change us and make us more like you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So what are the signs of a person who is led by the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about being used, by the, used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's rather obvious. But what are the signs of a, a person being led by the Holy Spirit? Rather, it's the signs of someone who puts God first in everything. There are three things here in this passage, three signs of a person who is led by the Spirit that I want to share with you today. So number one, first and foremost, a person that is led by the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 8, understands that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, we sometimes, people will quote this verse and say, well, you know, it doesn't mean that other people are condemning of me and that sort of thing, and so I, I don't have any shame when it comes to other people condemning. But what it's really talking about is that when we've been saved by God's grace, when we've accepted by faith salvation in the Lord and what he's done for us on the cross, what it's saying is that there is no more condemnation and judgment from God concerning our sins. And so we've been saved and we understand what God has done for us. We understand what Christ has done for us. The Jews understood that according to the law of Moses and God's righteous standards, they already fell woefully short. And if you go back and read the Old Testament and all the things that uh, they had to do and all the things that we would have to do, if we were under the law of Moses, then we would already be condemned because none of us could keep all of the law. And so because of that, there needed to be another way. They knew that they had done wrong. They knew that judgment was coming until Jesus came. And the scriptures tell us that he came in the flesh. In other words, when you see the word flesh there, which is something we don't often use. We don't use flesh in everyday conversation anymore. I can honestly say, like, when was the last time you used the word flesh in a conversation? Probably not recently, I would dare say. And if you did, it probably was in the context of, like, you know, cooking or something gross, right? So we don't use flesh in an everyday context or situation, but when it refers to the flesh, it refers to this human body that we're in. This is our flesh. It also refers to our sinful nature, the, the, the nature within us that wants to do what we want to do, and no one wants to, and we don't want anyone to tell us what to do or how to do it. It's kind of like something that you pick up when you're a teenager and if you don't mature and grow up, you kind of carry it into adulthood too. No one can tell me what to do. Well, that's a spirit of rebellion. That's resistance. We want to say, we are the highest law. We determine what our life is, and no one can tell us what to do or not do. But it says that Jesus came in bodily form. He was a man. He was actual flesh and blood. He walked this earth, and he was sent by the Father with one purpose, to die for our sins and to rise again from the grave. The law of Moses required regular sacrifices to atone for people's sins. But when Jesus came, he offered up himself a sinless sacrifice on the cross, and he satisfied all the judgment that sin required. As a result, our debt has been paid. The judgment has been served in Christ's body when he died on the cross. So that those who accept Jesus by faith, we receive grace and mercy and his salvation. And we're not under the requirements of the law anymore because Christ is the one prevailing sacrifice 
that does away with any other sacrifices that were needed under the Old Testament law. Those who are, did not accept Christ are still under the requirements of the law, the condemning, unwavering law of Moses. What the law could not do by meticulous observation, Jesus did by offering us grace. So if you've ever received God's salvation, if you've received Jesus as Lord, rejoice because you're no longer under condemnation. You're no longer under judgment, but rather you're under grace. Read this, remember this, and commit it to your memory. After you've been saved, you are no longer under condemnation. And so as a result, don't allow the voice of self-condemnation come in and make you feel terrible. Start seeing yourself differently. So here's what I've observed when people come to Christ. If you have been through hard times in your life, if you've been in an abusive household or you grew up there, or you heard a lot of negativity concerning your life growing up, you might have a difficult time to think of yourself as worthy of anything else but condemnation and scorn. But you have to understand that when you come to Christ, He wanted to save you, okay? He really did. Out of love, He wanted to save you. And He saved you from where you were, your sin and your guilt and your shame, and He gave you a fresh start. He wiped out your past, and He gave you a fresh start, so you have a new beginning in Him, so He doesn't see you that way anymore, one of the lifelong struggles that you'll have if you kind of grew up in a negative environment is seeing yourself the way God sees you, as be, seeing yourself as someone that doesn't need to be condemned and that you don't have to co- constantly self-condemn, but that you can walk in freedom and you can walk in grace and mercy. A sure sign of someone who has been saved and forgiven is that because they are not condemned, they are not condemning. Because they were not judged by God, they will not be judgmental towards others. Because that's what recipients of grace does. So Christ didn't come to you and save you so that you could be cleaned up and then be critical of every other person who isn't. You know, if we are not under God's condemnation, then we shouldn't be the kind of people that are condemning. If we have been saved by God's grace and we are no longer under his judgment, it doesn't give us the license to be judgmental anymore. In fact, if anything, we should be uh, agents of God's grace and reconciliation to others that no matter how bad a person is or their situation, we should be believing for them God's grace, believing for them that God can change them instead of being judgmental and passing judgment upon them. So first and foremost, we recognize there is no condemnation in Christ. The second sign of a person who is led by the Spirit is that they are not controlled by the sinful nature or their sinful nature. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is a life in peace. So the question is, what leads you? What is the controlling interest in your life? If you think about companies, publicly traded companies have stockholders and shareholders, right? And whichever company has the most shareholders, uh, the, the, the one who has the most controlling interest. If you 
uh, own 51% of the company, you can override and veto anything that company decides to do. Why? Because you have the controlling interest in that company. Ask yourself the question, what is the controlling interest in your life? Now, you should know that being controlled is different than being tempted. This doesn't mean that as a Christian you aren't tempted to sin. Nor does it mean that you don't struggle with temptation. I wish we would learn this lesson. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. Just because you struggle with something doesn't mean you're a Christian anymore. And just because you're feeling those emotions and feeling that temptation doesn't mean that God's Spirit's not within you. What it means is that you are still human. And you're still tempted. Just like every other person on the entire planet is tempted. But we remember the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that you know, no temptation is seized as except what is common to what? Man. And women, obviously, it means both. But it's common to all of us. And it says God is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. So we know that God can give us a way out. And just because you're tempted, just because you struggle, doesn't mean that God can't give you the strength to resist. So you do face these things. But the question is, do those things control you? Ask yourself, are you controlled by these desires? Or do you just simply struggle with them? Desire that are so strong that you cannot resist. The other day I was in my house, okay, my dog comes in from outside, and usually when he comes in from outside, if he stands there on the mat and we let him wipe his feet before he tracks his muddy paws into the house, we usually give him a treat, okay? But as I went to go get him a treat, uh, you know, I opened up the cabinet, and he has this bag full of treats, and the bag fell over, and all the treats came out on the floor, okay? So I know what he's thinking. He's immediately ready to go get that. He has no restraint. There is no self-control with an animal when it comes to seeing food. Am I right? If you own animals of any kind, you know it doesn't matter. If, if you are between them and food, all of a sudden you become forgotten. I joke all the time that if anything ever happened to us, if we died in the house, my dog would eat me. I have no, I have, I have, I have no doubts in my head. He would eat me. I, he just would. I just think he would, okay? Forget it. It goes out the window. So I had to quickly just scoop all of that back into the bag before he got to it. Why? Because I know that he did not have the internal self-control to say, just one daddy. <laughs> that's, not, that's not even going into that, okay? He would eat all of those in one sitting easily. We are not like animals, though, okay? Even though there's a part of our character and part of our nature that is flesh and blood, is human. And that's the problem with the world today is that everyone's so driven by their desires, their appetites, their hungers, that they don't restrain themselves, okay? There's a reason why God tells you not to do certain things. Not because he doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because he designed the, you, your body, he created you, and he gave us an owner's manual that says, listen, uh, don't do that because if you do it, you won't get the optimum health or optimum strength out of it. It won't run as long if you run it that way. And so we're not like animals. We have desires, but also we have restraint. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And that's the difference between being led by the sinful nature and being led by the Spirit. It all comes down to which one drives you. Which one who do you want to please more? Do you want to please yourself 
Or do you want to please God? If you want to please yourself, you'll always do what you want to do. But if you want to please God, you will do what pleases the Holy Spirit. And that means at times you have to say no to certain things. Why? Because it says that the mind that is uh, carnally, uh, the person that's carnally minded is death. Not physical death, although it was sin that brought physical death into the world, but rather spiritual death, eternal separation from God. This means that if you're guided by your sinful desires, you're falling right back into the very sin that Jesus set you free from. And it was our sin that made us enemies towards God. And salvation has made us friends with God. So let's not use the grace that we've received to once again sin and put ourselves in opposition to God. How many know that you can walk with God? You can be a Christian and you can offend God. That you can grieve God's spirit. That is very much a reality for us if we are walking according to our own desires. And so a person who is led by the spirit is someone who is controlled by, led by, and directed by that which that we know pleases God. Even when we kind of have that moment where we're tempted to do the wrong because we enjoy it, or because everyone else is doing it, or because it's convenient. Even when we have that temptation, that struggle, the, the heart that's led by the Spirit immediately goes, I will do what pleases God even if it doesn't please me. I will do what pleases God even if it's not easy. I will put God's first even though it is challenging to me. Take a look at verses 8 through 10. It says, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within you. Now, if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. We have our flesh and our sinful nature, but we've been given a tremendous gift, his spirit. When we received, uh, when we received Christ, when we asked him to become our Savior, we received the Holy Spirit. And because of this, we belong to him, and his spirit lives within us. And because his spirit lives within us, it changes us and transforms us to the, be the way that God wants us to be. A sign that we do not have God's Spirit is that we still live according to our old nature, not according to the Spirit that's within us. It means that nothing has changed. In other words, the, the inner work of the Spirit hasn't done its work that it should because we haven't allowed Him to do it. Uh, let me put it in perspective. When you become a Christian, when God's Spirit lives inside you, and by the way, if that sounds weird to you, it's a scriptural concept. It's actually in the Word. That's what happens to you when you receive salvation. The Spirit of God literally dwells within you. And the things that you might have used to do that you didn't think twice about doing, after you become at work, when the Spirit of God works within you, you start to realize, I shouldn't do that. What you used to do, like, easily and you didn't think twice about, there's now a hesitation. There's a pause. There's a slight bit of conviction that takes place that makes you pause and think about it. Now, you can either do one or two things with that, that, that conviction, that, that thought, that pause. You can either say, yes, you're right, I shouldn't do that, or you can ignore it. And if you ignore it, the Scriptures talk about it, that our conscience becomes seared like with a hot iron. We develop scar tissue over the part of our life that should say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. 
So to be led by the Spirit means that we're allowing God to do a work in us. So if you're sensing God telling you, don't do that anymore, and you're like, well, I used to always do that. What's the harm? And it might not even be something that is considered overtly sinful. It might be just something that you used to watch that God's like, I don't want you watching that anymore. Or music you used to listen to that he doesn't want you to listen to anymore. And it's not sin to anybody else, but for you, God's like, I just, you don't need that. It's like, okay, I don't need that, so I'm not going to do that anymore. But if you ignore it, you'll just go about your life and you won't even think twice about it. God has, you have to allow God to work within you by His Spirit and transform the person who you are. So again, to review, a person who's been led by the Spirit understands there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and two, are not controlled by their sinful nature, and finally, three, they understand that they are children of God. Take a look at verses 14 through 17. For as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Have you thought about yourself as being children of God? Adopted by God through Christ. We were once estranged children. Not strange children. Even though I've met a couple. But estranged children. In other words, God created us. We were meant for a purpose. He made us for his good will and pleasure. Uh, it was his idea to create the world and put people in it. So it's, it's not an accident why we're here. We were meant to be created for his purpose. And then through disobedience and sin and rebellion, we became far from God. But then when we received salvation, he didn't uh, take us and make us servants and slaves. That's not what he did. He didn't say, listen, because you rebelled against me and you, and you uh, turned against me, uh, I, I receive you now, but I will receive you as a servant. No, it says that he receives us as sons and daughters of God. But here is the mark of sonship in verse 14. It's whether or not we are led by the Holy Spirit or led by our sinful nature. Those who are led by the Spirit are called sons of God or children of God. Who we act like shows the world who our Father is. Who we act like shows who we belong to. Now, if you ever grew up and you were a troublemaker and you got into trouble, people would say, you're just like your father, right? Or they'd say, you're just like your mother. No one could control her either. And look, you're the exact same way. So you became identified by your, the way that you acted. The way that you carried yourself, the way that you spoke, the way that you handled things, maybe the way that you lost your temper, the way that you acted indicated who you belonged to. It indicated what family you were part of. And so when it comes to following God, we should act like the one to, that whom we belong to. We don't belong to this world anymore. We don't belong to the devil. We don't belong to our past or even like the things that our parents would get into. You know, God can change you and, and work in you so that you are not 
the angry person that your dad was. Or you're not the manipulator that your mom was. Or the dishonest person that your siblings were. God can change that aspect of you. That doesn't have to be your destiny. That doesn't have to be the part of your life that you continue to walk in. But God changes who you are. But this is also conversely how we tell who you belong to. So if we belong to Christ, then we should look like Christ. Act like Christ. Speak like Christ. Please understand what that means. It doesn't mean like walking around with pious hands all the time. Or that you bought a robe, you know, for anything other than Star Wars, right? So, <laughs> you don't have to walk around. You don't have to make outward signs of piety to be identified as belonging to Christ. Matthew 5 tells us all about that through the, the Beatitudes. The way that you act show that you belong to God. And so if we belong to Christ, then we should start acting like Christ. If we belong to the Father, we should start acting like our Father. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit are called sons and daughters of God. It's by His Spirit that we can be called children of God. Now, what are the signs of adoption in a family? If you've ever adopted someone, maybe you were adopted. What are the signs of adoption in a family? Well, they receive a new name. The name of the one who has taken them in. When you're adopted, typically you find a new place to live. You don't live in the foster home anymore. You don't live in a group home. But now you have a home of your own with a room of your own and a place that belongs to you, and you live with the family that brought you in. If you've been adopted, you receive all the blessings of that family. Everything the blood relations of that family have, you have too, including at times even an inheritance. Now consider this. As a believer, we have been given a new name. We are called Christians because we have taken on the name of Christ. He may even have changed your name just like Abram was changed to Abraham or just like uh, Saul was changed to Paul. There's a change that takes place in you personally that other people recognize you and they say, yeah, you might be Kevin or whatever the case might be, but you're different. You might be Mary, but you're a different Mary. You're not, you're not the same person that you used to be. So you've been given a new name. You are now a Christian, and you represent him. You've been given a new place. We have a new eternal home, heaven, where we will be with our Lord forever, and we will be with those who have gone on before us. We have a new home. Our destiny was, was certainly hell, but we have a new eternal home in heaven that is for us and for all who are called part of the family of God, that where our Father is, where Jesus is, that's where we will be, and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of that. We've been given a spiritual inheritance as well. Our Heavenly Father does not treat us as though we are second-class citizens. And He doesn't treat us like we're adopted children or illegitimate children. It says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He gives us every blessing that He has. And you might think, you said, well, what's the blessing? I go to church. What's the blessing? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm known as a Christian. You know, when I go to the hospital and they fill out that questionnaire and they ask me what my faith is and, and you know, I write down that I'm a Christian. You know, what do I have? You have so much in Christ. You have salvation. Yes, you know where you're going. But do you know that he answers your prayers? He hears you when you pray. There's guidance when you need guidance. His spirit will direct you what to do. We have his kindness. We have helps in time, help of time of need. 
We have a family of believers to be part of. We have joy. We have the goodness of God at work in our life. When we go through difficulty, He is there. He promises us beauty for ashes and rejoicing for mourning. That's all the goodness that God has for us. That is your inheritance in Christ. Don't miss out on your inheritance. It's kind of like if you had a wealthy relative that died and you never heard about your inheritance. And it's just been sitting, you know, in the secretary treasurer's office in the state of Massachusetts and you never knew about it until the day that you did. And then you realize, wow, I have all this available to me, but I didn't even know about it and I didn't even know how to go about receiving it. How I know that if when that day, you found out that day, that would change the way that you would live, wouldn't it? If you understood that all of a sudden you had like millions of dollars that came to you out of nowhere because someone left it to you, that's life-changing money. Well, maybe not in today's economy, but, but it would change the way you live currently, wouldn't it? It's the same way when we understand that we have a spiritual inheritance in Christ, that we have every spiritual blessing in Him. Joy is available to you. Kindness is available to you. God's unconditional love is available to you. But you'll never know that until you tap into the inheritance we have in Christ. Can I encourage you today to not just simply know that you're saved and just simply say to yourself, well, I was a miserable person and am a miserable person, but I thank God that I'm saved. You know that God doesn't see you as a miserable person anymore? So stop being a miserable person. Can I encourage you in that? Experience God's joy, His love, His kindness, and His grace in you. It will be transformative. You will see the world differently. You will see one another differently when you recognize the love and grace that God's poured into your life and what you have in Him. When you are filled with joy, when you are filled with excitement because of these things, all these things, it says, makes us cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. It's an affectionate term that a child uses for their father. When God's spirit is in you, you feel close to God. You see him as a father. Not as a harsh and cruel parent, but a loving, gracious, and helping father. So many Christians can't bring themselves to see God this way. But when you do, it will change the way you see your relationship with God. God is our Father. That's why we pray to Him, our Father, or Heavenly Father. We pray to Him because that's not just simply a title. L let me explain it this way. Are there, remember growing up and there was people in your life that you got really close to? Maybe you would go over a friend's house. And when you went over that friend's house, like you had such a connection with their parents and they treated you with such kindness. Maybe they even treated you better than your own family treated you. Yeah. And sometimes that's because they only see you once a week. So <laughs> you're easy to get along with. If I only see you once a week, yeah, you're my son. Go for it. But what happened as a result of that connection and that kindness in that relationship? Sometimes you or your friend would call someone that wasn't mom, mom. And someone who wasn't dad, dad. Not because you're trying to be weird, but because you have made a connection with them and you want them to know, man, I just love you. Or maybe you have a person that's like an uncle or an aunt, but they're not your uncle and aunt. 
but they become your uncle and aunt because of the kindness they've shown you, the grace that they've shown you, the goodness they've shown you in your life. It's a term of uh, endearment and a term of connection. And if we don't see that as weird, we certainly shouldn't see calling our Heavenly Father, Father, and really meaning it when it comes to that. So when you call out to God as Father, see Him as a Father that loves and cares about you. We are children of God. So let's think about this as we wrap this sermon up today. We are children of God. So the true test is what are we controlled by? Are we controlled by our flesh, which means our desires, our base instincts, or our sinful nature? Or are we controlled by a prevailing desire to please God? It becomes easier as you continue to do it. Because as you walk with God, especially in the beginning, you'll have moments where you have two thoughts. What you want to do and what God wants to do. And for the first few times, that's going to be a struggle for you. Because you're like, well, I really like to do this. Like when you wake up in the morning, and you'd much rather check your fancy baseball scores than spend time in the Word. That's what you want to do versus what you really should do and what pleases God. But it's whichever one you allow to become more prominent. Who speaks, who directs, and who guides your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? Is it you or is it the Father? Is it you or the Holy Spirit that's at work within you? He says, I want you to come closer to me, son. I want you to come closer to me, daughter. And you let him speak into your life, and you allow him to guide and direct you. It should be the thought that guides our day. As Christians, we receive the Spirit of salvation, but are we actively thinking about the Holy Spirit throughout our daily life? Are we actively allowing him to lead us? Do we ask God in prayer, what do you want me to do today? Instead of adding prayer to our day, saying, God, I'm doing this, would you bless this? Saying, God, what would you want me to do? What is pleasing in your sight? And when you do what is pleasing in God's sight, it's automatically blessed. Do we let him lead us? Do we ask for him to guide us? Or is he an afterthought that we think about at the end of the day? Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to help us. It would be an unfortunate thing if we never considered him or even looked to him in our daily life. He came to be our comforter, our helper, and our teacher. And he can only do that if we are willing to let him lead. So the question is today, which one are you controlled by? Which one are you going to allow lead? And can I challenge us with this desire today, this prayer, that God, I choose today to be led by you. Lead me and guide me in everything. Not just the things that benefit me but the things that help others too. I want to help others. I want to be your agent in this world. I want to be your voice, your hands and feet in this world. And if that's your desire today, then maybe you'll join me together in this prayer. Will you pray with me that God will help you do that and help me do that? I wish I could tell you that I made that decision to do that a long time ago and I don't struggle anymore with doing what I want versus what God wants. I wish I could tell you it's all done, and I just do whatever God wants all the time. I make it my aim to do what God wants. That's very different than just simply being led by whatever feelings and emotions 
or desires that come to you. Instead, we say, I choose to follow you. I choose to be led by you. And I choose to put you first in my thoughts and my actions. I will be spirit-led in all things. If that's the case, will you pray with me today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you for saving our souls and that we're no longer condemned by sin, but rather by saved by grace. Thank you that we are now called children of God. We are your children with every spiritual blessing and inheritance in Christ. Help us to be led by your spirit. Lord, that's the only way others will tell if we are yours, is if we are led by the Spirit, if we have you at work within us, then we will truly be people that are identified by our Father as people that follow you. Help us to be led by your Holy Spirit. Help us to live for you and not for ourselves. Give us the strength and willingness to do this. And we ask for this today in Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement with me, would you say this? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.